0: Thanks for joining us today for our Monday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we will be continuing our study in Genesis, so let's join Pastor Dave now.
1: Soon your trials will be over. We are going to be in Genesis chapter 44. Let's see how we do here, but we're going to try and get through 44 and 45. So... It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> um, so here, for a little backdrop, if you're here for the first time or haven't been with us, um, this really began in chapter 37. You have Jacob and you have his, uh, you have his 12 sons. Um, and one of them he shows favoritism towards, and that would be Joseph. And so it gives him a coat that shows authority, even though he's younger than 10 of his brothers, and his brothers are jealous of that, doesn't like that. He goes out to check out on his brothers because he has authority over them. And uh, has a dream that shows them all bowing down to him, which kind of adds to the jealousy of the brothers. And so as he goes out to check on them, they grab him. They throw him in a pit. They tear up his his uh, coat of authority and, and put blood of a, of a goat on it. So when they bring it back to his father, they the, the father goes, oh, he must have been devoured by an animal. Meanwhile, they take him, throw him in the pit. Then they sell him off to a bunch of Ishmaelite traders who go down to uh, Egypt and then sell him to Potiphar to be a slave there. He does so well there over 10 years, he's raised up as the head steward over the whole household. But then Potiphar's wife comes and throws herself at him and says, lie with me, lie with me. He says, no, how can I do this against my God? And so she falsely accuses him. And so then he's thrown into prison and he's there for a couple years and he's introduced to the, uh, butler and the baker that is also in disfavor with Pharaoh that's down there. They have a dream. He interprets their dreams. And then he tells the butler, hey, when you get before Pharaoh, tell him that I'm here and that I shouldn't really be here, that I'm from the land of Canaan, I'm of the Hebrews and I've been falsely accused. But the butler, when he gets back up there in front of Pharaoh, he forgets about it, doesn't say anything. Pharaoh, on the other hand, has a dream. He has a dream of seven fat cows and then seven emaciated cows. And the emaciated cows are the ones that uh, eat up the fat cows. And then he has another dream of these full stalks of grain and then some withered stalks of grain and they eat up the full stocks of grain. And he calls all his wise men and says, what does this mean? And they aren't able to interpret the dream. And it was through this that the butler goes, Oh, I kind of remember a guy who interprets dreams. And so he goes, hey, there's this guy named Joseph that's in prison. He interpreted my dream and the baker's, and it came to pass. You should ask him. So they bring Joseph in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dream, and Joseph says, what God is telling you is that he's telling you of what the future holds, and there's going to be seven very abundant years and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And what you should do, Pharaoh, is during the abundant years, take 20% of all that abundance every year, store it in grain houses, so when the seven years of famine hits, we can disperse it to the people during the famine. And he says, is there anybody wiser than you? And raises up Joseph to be at his right hand. There's no one more powerful Then Joseph in the kingdom, besides Pharaoh himself. And so he has him lead this charge of building grain houses and and, and the distribution once the, the famine hits. Well, the famine does hit. And it hits not only in Egypt, but also in the land of Canaan, which sends Jacob to send his sons to Egypt, okay, in order to buy grain. So they do. They go to Egypt. They uh, buy grain. They're in front of Joseph. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Why? Because he's about 39 years old. So he was 17, we're told, when he was sold into slavery. 10 years of being in Potiphar's house, a couple years or so being in prison. We're told at 30 years of age, he was raised up to be the right hand of Pharaoh. So 13 years took place there. Seven years of plenty has already occurred. So that makes him 37. He's now two years into the famine, okay, which makes him around 39 years old. So he was 17. Now he's 39. He looks like an Egyptian. So the brothers don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And so he begins to test them. And and they come and they say, we're here to buy grain. He says, no, you're spies. And treats him roughly, and, and he says, not so, and, and we, are the, uh, we are the sons of one man, of one father who has 12 sons and one is no more, which is speaking of Joseph, and so explains, and, and so there's 10 of us, and the youngest is still at home with the father, okay, so now he knows that his younger brother, Benjamin, is still alive, that his father is still alive, and so he says, okay, then this is what we're going to do. I'm going to keep one of you back here. I'm going to test to see if your words are true. Go back, and I'm going to keep Simeon here. Is one of the brothers that he held back. And he says, you go back with your sacks of grain and everything else, and then I want you to come with your youngest brother so I can, so I can see if what you have told me is true. So they go back and as they go back they find that the money they brought in order to buy grain was there in their sacks of grain and they're going, "Oh no, what is this?" Now they're going to think that we, you know, that we stole the money back that we gave for this grain. And so then they share this with Jacob and Jacob's going, "Why did you tell them all this stuff?" Because certainly you're going to have to go back again, but I'm not going to send you with Benjamin. Well, they end up using up all the grain. Jacob says, "Again, go back to uh, Egypt and buy grain. And they say, we can't unless we bring Benjamin. And so Jacob gets all upset and goes, oh, why is all this evil befalling me? You know, he says, okay, fine, take him. So they do. They take uh, Benjamin with them this time. They present themselves before Pharaoh. I'm sorry, before Joseph. And so Joseph is there. And actually, I take it back. They go first before the steward. And the steward says, Hey, you're going to have, uh, you're going to have a meal over at Joseph's house. And they're going, Oh no, this is where they're going to take us and make us slaves because we still have the money from the last time. So they begin to explain to the steward and say, Hey, look, I just want to let you know. I don't know how this happened, but we got back and we had the money that we first came to buy the grain with. Here we brought it back with us as well as other money to buy more grain. And the steward says, Don't worry about it. I'm the one that did that. Okay and that you've been granted favor in the eyes of of Joseph. And so just know, and of course he didn't call him Joseph because that would have kind of given it away, uh, but just, you know, the prime minister here. And so they kind of go kind of wondering what's going on, and they get fed this amazing meal. And now they're guests in his household, and their feet have been washed, and they have this amazing meal. And yet he sets them up in the order of their birthright, around the table, and they're going, how does he know this? And yet the youngest, Benjamin, gets, as it says here in, uh, in verse uh, 33, it says in chapter 43, And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, the youngest according to his youth, and the men looked in astonishment at one another. Then he took servings to them before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank, and they were merry with him. Benjamin got the most. Benjamin got the most. And so here we are in chapter 44 here, and he's going to continue to test them to see, are they changed men? Are they still the same guys that were jealous and sold him into slavery? Or are they truly honest men like they said they were? He's going to find out here. So here we are in verse 1, and says, And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, so just like last time, put the money back. Okay, put the money back. But also put the cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. The word cup here in the Hebrew is gibia. It means cup, bowl, or goblet. Made of silver, probably beautifully ornamented with Joseph's own markings on it. So here's Joseph's plan. Plant evidence of theft in Benjamin's sack. So when confronted, Benjamin would have to come back to be his slave before Joseph. And let's see if the brothers respond by leaving Benjamin behind to be a slave as they did with Joseph. Let's see if they've truly changed. And so the steward is commanded to do three things. Fill the sacks with food as much as they could carry, so way more than their money would have bought. Okay. Second, put everyone's money which came with them to purchase grain back in their sacks, just like they did the last time. Third, put Joseph's special cup in the opening of Benjamin's sack. Verse three. As soon as the morning dawned the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. So the brothers go back to Canaan with their father Jacob is waiting for them, anxiously, I'm sure to return. They leave thinking everything is wonderful, everything's going great. They're returning with more grain than their money could even buy, and even with their own money, even though they don't know that at this time. And most importantly, Benjamin is with them. No hiccups. They came with Benjamin, they're leaving with Benjamin. But little did they know, the biggest test of all was coming. I see this so often when it comes to ministry. Things seem to be going so well. You're praising God, everything's wonderful, but there's a test right around the corner. i got to tell you, the women's Christmas dinner went so, so well. And then, early, early Friday morning, we had the flood that comes. And it was everywhere. Inch. Inch and a half of water all through this place. Because Satan did not want us to have the Christmas dinner on Friday night. And to see and just go, okay, let's pray. Let's do what we can do. Let's get this thing going so 10 hours later we can preach the gospel. Praise God. It's just a little test. That's all it is. Verse 4. When they had gone out of the city and were not far, yet far off, Joseph said to the steward, get up, follow the men. When you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Look at all the good Joseph has done. Bide you in the house, gave you this meal, gave you more grain than you could have ever thought of. Is this not, is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them and he spoke to them these words. So he's overtaken them at that point. He says, why have you returned evil for good? They're probably going, what are you talking about? He says, someone took the master's silver cup that he practices divination with. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? He says, why would we do that? We proved that we were honest already. Why would you even say this? We brought back the money that um, you placed back in our sacks, but we didn't know that. And so instead of just keeping it, we brought it back. Plus other money to buy grain. We're honest men. Why would we take a silver cup? Why would we take a silver cup? And so they're so certain that they're innocent of this that nobody... None of the brothers would do this, that they say, with whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And the rest of us, and we also be the Lord's slaves. We're that confident that nobody here would have stolen the silver cup, that whoever you find that silver cup with, let him die, and the rest of us will be your slaves. We'll be your slaves. That's how confident they were. That's how confident they were. They have no idea that they're being set up here. But the steward knows the plan of Joseph and only wants Benjamin to return. So he kind of changes their words and he says, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slaves. You've already said, whoever finds the silver cup with them, they're the guilty one. You want him to die, but I'm changing it by your words. He's not going to die. He's going to become the slave of Joseph. And you shall be blameless. Go your way. Whoever the guilty party is, they will suffer the conqueror. The rest of you will not, is what he's saying there. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground. Each opened his sack and he searched. He became the oldest. And left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Amazing. He mentions first that this silver cup is special to the prime minister, Joseph, that he practiced divination with it. He kind of says that to kind of head it out so they could understand that certainly he knows someone has taken his cup. He practices divination. You can't withhold anything from him. He's going to know things, okay? Now, even though for appearance sake, it looks like because he's an Egyptian, he practiced divination with this silver cup, Joseph did not. He's a godly man, okay? But the Egyptians did use these cups for Predicting the future, professing future events, they would put things in the cups, fall particles of gold and silver, and look at the reflection and shake it up and see how it sifted, and, and it would supposedly speak to them about future matters. It's Joseph's own personal cup. He doesn't practice divination with it. But what his point is is that Benjamin probably was carried away with youthful desire saw the beautiful silver cup, the ornate markings on it, and couldn't help himself, and he stole it. Verse 13, look how they respond. And they tore their clothes. Each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Their reaction is, worst thing imaginable. Worst thing. Not only was the cup found among them, but it was Benjamin's sack that it was found in. The favorite son of Jacob, the one that he worried about the most. And now Benjamin is being sentenced to a life of slavery in Egypt. There's no reason for any of the brothers to think that Benjamin would have stolen a silver cup. He wasn't a foolish man. He wasn't a covetous man. He wouldn't take this kind of a risk. But here is the evidence right there before them. And each man loaded his donkey, returned to the city. They didn't have to. They didn't have to. They were free to go their way. So right here, you begin to see the change. Then when they show up, Joseph is able to see there's a difference now. Before, they would have left, just like they did him. But this time, they did not. Verse 14. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. Third time. Third time they've fallen down before him. Again, fulfilling the dream Joseph had in chapter 37. It must have warmed Joseph's heart to actually see his brothers come back. And in verse 15 it says, And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice Divination. Then Judas said, What shall we say, my Lord? What shall we speak, or how shall we clear ourselves? And look what is said right here God has found out the iniquity of your servants. He doesn't say God has found us guilty of taking the silver cup. He says, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. And here we are, the Lord's slaves both we and he also with whom the cup was found. Judah is not talking about the cup in the sense of when he says, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. He's not talking about the cup. Even though they were innocent in this particular situation of the cup, they were certainly guilty of a sin past of selling Joseph into slavery some 22 years later or earlier. And so in their minds, they're thinking it's only fitting that we get caught of something and we deserve this. And so now we need to become slaves. Here, Judah and his brothers come to a place, I believe, of total surrender of going, God's got this. I, you know, don't know why it's happening now, why it didn't happen 10 years earlier. Don't know why God didn't allow for something to happen immediately after we sold Joseph into slavery. But guess what? Your sin will find you out. And there's consequences to that. And because they haven't confessed it to God, and they haven't confessed it to Jacob, and because they haven't, God is saying, okay, you're going to pay the penalty for that. And they realize this, that it was because of that sin. Because of that sin. Verse 17 says, But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found... He shall be my slave. And as for you, go in peace to your father. Go in peace to your father. So Joseph tests them further. One man is guilty of the theft. And he offers them one more time that only the man, only the guilty party needs to stay. The rest were able to go free. And so now they have the question that they have to ask themselves. Now they're being tempted with that famous... Lyric from the punk band of the 80s. Should I stay or should I go? And what group is that? Clash. The Clash. You're a heathen. You shouldn't have shouldn't have known that, Doug. But you did. You did. I know you've already confessed it. You're good. It's all good, brother. And so here is the real test. Do we stay? Do we go? Do we stay? Do we go? And so are they going to leave their brethren in slavery? Have, have you really, really changed? And look what Judah does. He intercedes for Benjamin. Verse 18, Judah came near to him, said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And so he kind of takes him off to the side. He says, Do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. So he's about to... Kind of give a summary of how all this stuff came to be. And he says, please don't be angry as I retell the whole story to remind Joseph, even though they don't know he's Joseph, of how much this is going to hurt their father, Jacob. And so he says in verse 19, my Lord, my Lord asks his servant saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. So again, Judah is emphasizing that the prime minister there, Joseph, is the one that demanded this. And so he said, we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. Meaning when you come back for more grain, I'm not going to give it to you. Okay, not going to give it to you. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord, that our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said we cannot go back. We cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down for we may not see the face unless our younger brother is with us. Again, Judah is emphasizing that this was Joseph's request of bringing their younger brother. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, meaning Rachel. And the one went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him. This is the first time that Joseph hears that how it was, the the news was brought to him of what happened to him that he was torn in pieces. Somehow he heard that a wild animal had killed him. This is the first time that Joseph hears this. He's probably been thinking for many, many years, for 22, 23 years, I wonder what my brothers told my father of what happened to me. Because surely my father would have come after me had he known that I'd been sold into slavery. He's probably wondering, what did they tell him? What did they tell him? Well, now he knows. He told them that he had been killed by a wild animal. Verse 29, but if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair and sorrow to the grave. In other words, if anything happens to Benjamin, it's going to kill Jacob.
0: That's all we have time for today on this Monday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Listen in tomorrow as we continue our study in Genesis. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings, and on Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday evening at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Child care is offered for all our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell gas station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.